Live-ish, live-ish from Smyrna, Georgia. Catching in with the Peachtree Post, I'm Jarrett Smith, again, out of Smyrna, Georgia, the home of watching Olympic swimming because I like to pretend I know what I'm talking about, and sometimes we have to take a break from soccer, but not right now. Right back into it. And live from Stockbridge, Georgia, is uh, representing the University of Georgia, who, by the way, uh, and it's Jason Longshore. Let's get that out of the way. It's Jason Longshore. Hey, Jason. Hey, what's up? Where where were you going with that? Uh, the University of Georgia um, has eight gold medals in Rio. That's the ninth highest total in the world right now. Bulldog Nation, like, represent. You're, 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 I mean, if I were a horrible person, and if college football was only like a month away, I would ask if Georgia will have more wins than gold medals this year. <sighs> I thought you were going to make fun of the people who were all upset about the hashtag UGA being for Uganda and not for Georgia. I enjoyed that a lot because that happened right after the Matt Kemp comment about how Atlanta's a baseball city. And I thought, it's not. It's a college football town. And even the college football team right now can't even get a unique hashtag without getting associated with like our national rival. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't catch a break. Uh, that's what happens. <laughs> Something going right for them. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that that's another podcast. One of these days. <laughs> one of these days, we'll we'll bring on Nick Chubb and ask his opinion on Uganda. Definitely, I like that idea. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Anyway, soccer, Atlanta soccer. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Um. Whenever you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to it, thanks again. Uh. Quick look at what's going on today, guys. Um. Have a quick look at Atlanta United, of course. Keep up with what's going on and uh, kind of keep you updated with uh, what to expect and any news that we've had coming out, including Academy stuff. Really want to go over that. Um, merchandising, which Mel Brink taught us, or uh, Mel Brooks, excuse me. I'm having an off night. Mel Brooks taught us about how important it was. We'll take a look at the lower divisions, uh, the U.S. Open Cup, and Jason will get angry, and that's our favorite version of Jason. Let's not kid ourselves. Wow. And uh, finally, we'll take a look... Oh man, angry you is great. Like when you get when you get not even not like violent angry where you throw things, but when you just get get upset, it's really fun. I don't throw. I'm things on board with that, that often. As long as it's, no, you don't, and that's why like it's it's a common thing when you just get like agitated about things. It uh, makes the rest of us happy. Um, oh boy, as okay. long as it's not directed at us. Uh, US and we'll take a look at the U.S. Open Cup and uh, upcoming MLS games. If you would like to reach us, you can do so. You can find him, uh, Jason Longshore, at Longshoe on Twitter. You can find me, Jarrett Smith, at Jarrett underscore Smith. Always check us out as well. Um, read more about what's going on at Dirty South Soccer over at uh, SB Nation Soccer as well. A lot of stuff going on. You know, Soccer's going on at the Olympics. MLS is kind of kicking in the back leg of the season. Uh, weird things are going to happen. Um, but as we stick MLS, let's start with Atlanta United, Jason, and... Um, a quick look at what's happened in the last week. Yeah, it's probably the the biggest thing has been on the academy side. Uh, the academy coaches were announced for uh, the whole coaching staff, and we already knew about Richard Money and Tony Annan, and they've been assigned, uh, from my understanding, to the U18s for Richard and the U16s for Tony. Um, I'm not sure if that's 100% official, but I know that's been mentioned uh, here and there. 
the rest of the staff was announced and they haven't been assigned to their teams yet. So we'll see where they end up. Uh, a lot of college experience in this group. Um, a lot of varied experience. So pretty interesting coaching staff they put together. I agree. It's, um, like you said, you got the guys up top who we knew were already associated with the club. And now we're seeing more and more guys. And, uh, this, this actually got covered Wednesday night during the, uh, ATL soccer chats, which we're going to keep plugging to see you all join, um, ATL soccer chats on Twitter, 8 PM, actually on Periscope. Now we're jumping ahead. Yeah. Like, we've technology's moved, jumping ahead, man. We have moved to Periscope. We're on the, uh, the dirty South soccer Periscope at dirty South sock SOC. Yeah, it actually took me a minute to find that. I kept putting in soccer and getting confused, then I realized it was actually soccer. It's, it's yeah, kind of, I don't, character I'm limits. To say how long it took me to figure that out. <laughs> I'm ashamed of how long it took me to figure that out. Um, and not only we get to discuss soccer, you get to watch a dog and a cat fight. That's That, that makes everything better. <sighs> yeah, that's always the highlight of the night, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, but this was discussed, um, the amount of college coaching, and it got into a different discussion about uh, guys playing in college, uh, how it impacts academies and that sort of thing. But the amount of college coaching you have coming into the academy, how they get placed, um, that's still kind of up in the air, like you said. But it's another step in the academy. And people are always kind of, I feel like I feel like people are anxious for news with the team. We're getting to the point now where we don't have like a manager for you know the first team. Uh, you're always looking for the next DP signing. There's so many little things to come out, or I should say big things to come out. I feel like these smaller things kind of get ignored. And when you're building the way Atlanta is with the Academy, these are really big moves that might be overlooked by some people. Yeah. The Academy, I mean, it's, it's your foundation. It's your building blocks. These are the guys who, you know, you're expecting to be part of the club for years and years to come. Um, probably longer than your first team coaching staff, longer than a lot of your players. This is what your your just your whole like club's ethos is is built on. So it's interesting to look at the guys who they brought in. You know, they have a, a few guys who've worked here locally. They have some guys who, you know, are not from the Atlanta area. They have some guys who have worked extensively on the youth side. They have some guys who have a ton of college experience. Um covered a lot of bases with it um i you know it's it's hard to say until you see the guys work so you know I mean, resumes look good but let's see you know what happens on the field this fall but uh it's an interesting group and there was a lot of discussion again um i i kind of i don't i, I do and i don't feel bad about going back to wednesday night's discussions um but there was a lot of discussion about what people are expecting out of the academy and it became a discussion, you know, do you look for winning? Are you looking for, you know, the prestige in that sense? Are you looking for the production? Um, and this branched off, of course, like a dead tree about in as many directions as you could possibly imagine about, you know, what people expected, um, how the landscape of American soccer impacts that, how the landscape of college soccer impacts that, um, other things that aren't necessarily important like uh, eligibility and amateurism. We avoided that and we'll avoid it again now. Um, oh, I mean, it's weird. NCAA is weird. NCAA going to NCAA. Yeah, but, you can't stop it. No. I'm I'm really curious to see how it does shake out. Um, we just saw, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but we just saw a number of players get called up 
which is amazingly awesome. And it and I know a lot of that has to do with the fact that because the way Atlanta United worked, uh, there are a number of great articles out about the way Atlanta United, um, the way it kind of took over and uh, and absorbed the uh, the other U sixteen U eighteen teams. Yeah, yeah, Georgia United. That's this on the tip of my tongue. I couldn't remember off the top of my head, but um, the way they brought in Georgia United. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but the way they brought in Georgia United, and be that as it may, uh, the press release still says five Atlanta United uh, Academy players are named the U seventeen roster, and you know you can cut it, and you can you know put a tent over it however you want. The bottom line is the press release says five Atlanta United Academy players are on the U.S. roster. That's pretty awesome. That's massive. I mean, you go through that that press release and that training camp roster, and the LA Galaxy had two players in it. There were a few other MLS teams who had a, one player. Atlanta United had five. Uh, four of those guys are out of Georgia United. One is out of GSA, uh, Gwinnett Soccer Association. A uh, couple bits on, on the group. Um, Andrew Carlton, no surprise. Uh, Charlie Asensio has been in, in, you know, in the youth national team pool for a while now. Zion Jones is a player that that I've seen that I really like uh, up top. You can play up top or out on the wing. Um, he's with the U16s. Uh, the two that kind of jumped out to me that were interesting in this announcement were Chris Goslin, who has been in the youth national team pool for quite a while. He's a Georgia United guy. He was initially not on the Atlanta United list uh, that was announced publicly. Uh, I think they announced it on Twitter it was also picked up by Doug Roberson at the AJC. Goslin wasn't on that list. We had been told at Dirty South that he was always intended to be part of the roster, just for whatever reason he wasn't on that list. Nobody knows why. But he was officially listed as an Atlanta United player on the U.S. soccer release. And the other one's Kendall Edwards. Edwards is the GSA former GSA player. He's now with uh, Atlanta United's U16s. He's been part of Georgia ODP program for quite a while. He also recently spent time with Jamaica's youth national teams. Um, so curious to see him now show up. I believe this is his first U.S. camp and see if this will be a permanent switch at the youth levels uh, before you play on senior national teams. You can go back and forth before you kind of officially declare so we'll see how this this camp goes for Edwards. Everything I've heard on Edwards, he's a very athletic, very smart player. Um, definitely a, a high ceiling for him. So I'm curious to see how he does. This will be probably the highest level he's he's been at. Uh, you know, coming out of GSA, which didn't have developmental academy last year, and ODP, which is good but not not quite the same on a consistent level. Let's see how he he performs with the national team pool. Yeah, it's um, I mean, like I said, either the way in any way you cut it, in my opinion, it's it's awesome to see, and I hope it gives an I hope it's encouraging in the future. I mean, uh, you you always hope to see more names. Um, like you said, Carlton was the first one I looked for, like as shameless as that might be, um, just because of the name power. Um, the first honestly, the first two that jumped off to me were he and uh and he and Jones. Like those are the names I saw. I was like, okay, cool, great. Uh we're like we're on track where i thought we'd be but you know five is just at this point like five is just that's icing like carlton being there you knew that was the cake this is the rest of it is icing and 
I have no problem with it. I'm actually really excited about it. And um, hopefully it continues and, you know, you can see Atlanta United pace the rest of MLS really, hopefully. I mean, I know it's probably a bit, uh, a bit audacious of me or a bit, um, a bit uh, forward ahead, thinking too far ahead of me. A little bit ambitious is the word I'm looking for. It's probably a little ambitious to do, but you know, who knows? Not at all. I mean, honestly, I think it's a, it just shows the level that the Academy is going to be starting from. It's, it's not like a lot of startups where you're, you know, building a player pool, you're building players from scratch. You have a high quality group of players that are going to make up the initial Atlanta United Academy. So now it's going to be the job of this new coaching staff of Richard Money, of Tony Annan, to take it to another level with the resources that they'll have that, you know, Atlanta youth soccer clubs have never had before. Uh, Another interesting thing on the academy, uh, the U.S. Soccer Developmental League schedule is out. And their home games for the fall, you know, the training facility is not going to be ready till next year. The U-12s, U-13s, U-14s are going to play at Kennesaw State Marietta, the old Southern Poly complex. And the the U-16s and U-18s are going to play at Pace Academy. Pretty cool to see that. Pace is a a quality program. Um, Great facilities over there. I I believe Arthur Blank's kids went to Pace. I'm not 100% sure of that. I haven't um, been there since they were working on the stadium. So I, and I don't live far, so I don't really have an excuse. I can get over there pretty quickly to go look at it. Last time I was there, I covered a Pace game a couple of years ago. And it's been at least two years. So this is kind of outdated information, sort of. But I mean, I remember like watching them play. It was a narrow field. I don't know how the stadium's going to fit because this was, was off question. the stadium grounds. This was, yeah. yeah. I don't know how the stadium is laid out in terms of is it narrow, is it wide? Because uh, when the girl, when I had to cover a girls' playoff game there, it was narrow and it was it was a track meet. It was also a great game. It was like four three. It was a really fun game, but nice. it was it just turned into a, tr- a like a downfield bombing track meet. Yeah, that that was my question, and I I wasn't sure if they had a soccer field. You know, outside of the stadium, if it had a track around it, if it was a narrow field, wide field, be curious to see. So I guess if if we're making assignments, that's going to be your assignment to go do a scouting mission at Pace Academy's field. So we know what to expect. Happily, Uh, their first home games for the 16s and the 18s are later in September, the weekend of the 24th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, They play Saturday and Sunday that weekend. So I know the. The supporters groups, Terminus Legion, uh, Resurgence, Footy Mob have been chatting it up on on Twitter and social media today. They're definitely going to try to have a, a presence at those games, which will be pretty cool. Pretty cool to see for the you know the next kind of wave of Atlanta United players. And yeah, and it'll be um, that and that that is actually going to be something I was going to ask you about was about getting the supporters groups out for these academy games. Um, just because they are going to be accessible, um, if it is played at pace, like having seen, you know, when they were building that stadium, there's plenty of room for it. I mean, you can plenty of room to have supporters groups, fans out there. Um, same with the Marietta campus. Uh, honestly, when you said Kennesaw, I didn't put the Marietta campus right into mind. I kept thinking about that seven, eight thousand seat stadium up in Kennesaw. 
that they use for football and women's soccer. It's like, oh, that'd be great. They could sit 8,000. Oh, wait, Marietta. Oh, Southern Poly. I have nothing against Southern Poly. I graduated from Kennesaw. I mean, it's just kind of weird. It's still weird for me to think of that as Kennesaw. Yeah. Um, it's a but great both, facility. But both. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, both of them are great facilities. Like, there's no knock on either one. The potential is there for. There's, there's, it takes away the excuse, I think, for support to come out and um, to kind of build a relationship between these players and the fans, maybe not on a person to person sense, but get used to these faces, um, you know, help build an identity for the club for people to come out and watch these kids get used to them, you know, get an idea of what could be coming and hopefully spur some curiosity outside of, you know, maybe even just Atlanta United, but the Georgia soccer scene in and of itself, which we've gone over before, it's it's not bad by any means. In fact, it's quite good. Let's not kid ourselves. And get more people, maybe if they're diving into Atlanta United, maybe they dive into the youth soccer scene and say, hey, uh, we can watch a lot of these kids, whether they come to Atlanta United or not, which you want, because it's in the back. You're building an amazing academy in their backyard. Keep them here. Um, I, I feel like it it could come across like college recruiting where it's a matter of you want to keep the best in your backyard, in your backyard, but that's not always going to be the case, but still a great chance for people to see the potential, not just in Atlanta, but around the United States and people who could impact uh, soccer domestically and abroad going forward. I think it's a really cool opportunity and the Academy playing at a place like this takes away a lot of that excuse about, oh, well, it's just an academy game at a small place. No, you can go watch them here. Stop that. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how people, you know, grab onto it. It's, you know, I've always liked the, the grassroots side of the game. I've always liked, you know, grassroots of sports in general. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to go to Florida with my dad, my older brother, to see spring training baseball every spring. And I loved it. And it wasn't even just about going to see... You know, back then it was uh, right after the Braves got good. So, you know, getting Dave Justice's autograph was cool. But I liked seeing the guys come up and then, you know, meeting. I remember meeting Mike Mussina, for example, in in the outfield when Baltimore was playing, I believe it was the White Sox at their facility. And, you know, the guys were, you know, in spring training, the guys will run laps kind of in the outfield during the game because it's spring training. And Mussina was trying to avoid running because the Ripkins were just, I guess, animals at this point. And Mussina was just standing over there talking to us and signing autographs because he didn't want to go run. And we got to talk to Mike Mussina as a rookie for like, you know, 20 minutes. Really cool. So, you know, you're going to have, this is a little different because you're dealing with kids in a situation, but especially the U18s where you're going to see, you know, this fall, you're going to see some of Andrew Carlton play with the U18s. You're going to see some other guys that could very well be homegrown signings before training camp in January. The U18s, for sure, you should go see them. Uh, I know the team's going to you know, promote some of these games. I'm not sure what they're looking for from a, a spectator perspective. Uh, it's been kind of a mixed bag across the league. You know, I don't think the league has really taken advantage of some of this sometimes where player, young players playing in a you know, almost a professional atmosphere is really important. And it's one of those things that when you get into the overall youth soccer development question, you know, dealing with pressure and dealing with 
expectations is a big part of it, especially for those 15, 16, 17, 18 year old players who are about ready for the next level. How can they handle, you know, having resurgence and footy mob and terminus legion screaming for them? You know, is that going to be intimidating to them? Are they going to be able to handle that? Those are the things you kind of have to see if they're going to be professional players. So this provides that opportunity for it. So it'll be, it'll be exciting to see. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see all the age groups, but especially those U 18s, because I'd be willing to bet that at least one more of the U 18s and, and potentially one more of the players who were brought into this USU's national team training camp could be signed before opening day as a homegrown player. I'd, that'd be awesome. And it also makes me kind of feel bad about what I'm doing with my life right now. And that like, Oh, these kids are 16, 17 years old. And wow. Where was that success for me? But anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, okay. it's awesome. Okay. And that's, it's, it's really cool to see. I mean, yeah, I think it, I think it presents a really cool opportunity to watch firsthand. Somebody go from, you know, maybe a, you know, just a kid out there who's playing for a shot and then getting that shot and watching the natural progression. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that just builds that, all that the people, relationship with the club. I mean, that's the biggest oh, thing. Absolutely. Is, you know, watching these kids grow up in Atlanta United colors, that's that's a big deal. So this is this fall is really the start of something special. So I hope that, you know, fans out there who have the opportunity to go see the team play and, and go support them. You know, it's 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 one of those things like, you know, going to support them kind of like you go support, you know, your, your local high school, you know, it's, it's all positive. It's supporting these, these kids who are working hard to get to the next level. They have dreams. They want to be professionals, go support them. And it's definitely much appreciated by the players and the staff because that's their games, kind of their reward. So, you know, go out and make it a big deal for them. Um, it's just, it's, it's exciting. Maybe your high school, my high school was bad. I know I was there. I was were there you for those booing games. people? Were not. No, we weren't booing people. We were just like we were trying to cheer, and then you look up and oh, there's uh, pick your sport and runs, goals, touchdowns, whatever. They were being scored and not in the category that you wanted to see. Um, it got <laughs> well, it got my, demoralizing really quickly. My high school <laughs> it, got, it got dark really like quickly. Yeah, basketball we were all right, but football, yeah, we we were we were pretty sorry. We were bad at everything. Um, I think the only thing we were good at was ultimate frisbee when I was there. That's not anyway. a sport. That is a sport and a half, sir. Um, anyway, oh. on to people who have made it. Wow. On we we will continue this later. On to people who have made it. Um, checking up on people who Atlanta have signed to big contracts and who have they have loaned out and who they are expecting to possibly or definitely contribute next year. Uh, Vijalba, McCann, Jones. Um, by the way, and we'll go over this. Jones has still not been announced, Jason. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. Um, honestly, no question. I mean, no, no idea at this point. He Central's kind of in a weird spot. Like, I don't know when the Trinidad League gets underway. So, you know, there's no rush to announce it because it's, there's not any league games for him to be eligible to play. They do play in CONCACAF Champions League, their second match. They host Kansas City next Tuesday on the 16th. I hope they get it announced before then. I hope he's eligible. Uh, Central really needs him. Um, They lost their first game at home. They have to get a win in this game to have any chance of moving forward in in CONCACAF. Uh, 
I don't know what the holdup is. Sometimes things can get weird with international transfers and and that situation. This one shouldn't be that complicated, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, stay tuned, I guess. Um, I'm okay. I mean, uh, anyway. I, don't, I can't hey, think of a reason like something would be wrong with it. I, I don't know, you know, what the delay is, but it it should happen. I'd be shocked if it didn't. Um, well, Vijapa played last week, and uh, I think it was friend of the podcast Eric Quintana who posted the GIF. I think it was Eric of yeah, Vijapa doing what we want, and that what we want is to see him running really, really fast with the ball in open space. And really, that is my drug right now of choice. <laughs> and I got to get some of that drug, so I'm happy. Thanks, Eric. And yeah, um, you, thank you, you Vijapa, for playing. Exactly, you got one good hit there. Uh, he played a you know a little over ten minutes. Came on as a late sub. Uh, what I noticed was he kind of looked out of sync. Um, he hasn't played in a competitive game, I think since the end of May, maybe mid May, uh, with San Lorenzo. So you know he's been training with Solos for a little while, not that long. He just didn't look like he was on the same page with the teammates. You know, kind of at a different speed. Like that run was a prime example. He took off and nobody was used to him taking off like that. So he was kind of left on his own. Give him a little bit of time. Um, it's kind of an, it's, it's, it could be a difficult spot, but the way the Mexican season format is kind of helps him. You know, their seasons are self, they do split season. It's a aperture, a clausura setup. They the season is self-contained, so he will play a whole season there. So it's not like Chris McCann's situation where you know he's going to be there for the first half of the season, but then be gone. Vishalba will play a whole season that will end with a playoff in December. So they won't be shy about playing him, but they're also not going to think about you know developing him. He has to be in a situation where he's contributing, and from what you saw. You know, last week, he definitely adds an element that Sholos can use. Sholos is actually playing really well right now, too, so they're not going to shake they, up the lineup. They, they, I was about to say, it's not like they desperately need him to compete. They're, they're, no. they're, doing, just fine, they're doing just fine stomping on people's faces without him. He, exactly. did, he helps, don't get me wrong, but he's not, he's not a vital cog, so to speak, yeah. I guess. His, his, his situation is very different than Chris McCann's in that. We'll get to that in a second. But Vishalba, even if he doesn't play a ton at Sholos, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Training there, you know, getting some consistency back in his game will be very good coming into Atlanta United training camp. If he plays a good bit, it's a bonus. So I had a question for you, and it, a lot of this has to do with the fact that he he moves like a cat with his tail on fire. Could he be that kind of guy? And I, it translates to other sports as well, but the kind of guy where he'll eventually figure out that he can move at 90% and be as if not more effective than if he goes 100%? Yeah, absolutely could be. Um, I think what what he's going to have to figure out is, and, and I need to see more to see if he has this already, but the change of pace I think that's the biggest yeah. thing that, that has to happen with him. It's either, you know, right now what we're seeing is either, you know, normal pace or Vishalba pace. There's not the in-between. And that's what he has to be able to find. Yeah, and, and it, what makes me think about it is um, watching Dennis Schroeder playing in Atlanta. That's a as a guy who's example. A, 
as a guy who can run anyone on the court off the damn court, like ungodly fast. And I feel like this last year, he kind of figured it out at times that he can move at 85% speed and he's still faster than everybody in the league. And he's under so much more control and he gives himself more options to either speed up or slow down and throw people off. And Vajaba, especially when you get into a guy in open space, making runs, uh, delaying runs, that sort of thing, just learning to handle the clutch on your own speed seems like uh, the kind of thing where he could be even more dangerous as he gets older. Because as we've gone over before, he's still young. He's had a lot of games, and he's going to get a lot more. Yeah, the the comparison to Schroeder is actually perfect because what you saw with Dennis this past year when he kind of made that jump was being able to slow down enough to where his teammates could keep up. And I think that's going to be the issue with with Tito is going to be, you know, that run uh, that we saw was a prime example where he just outran everybody, teammates included. So he was left alone. He needs to be able to slow down a step so other teammates can catch up and he has more options, but then still have that extra gear when he needs it, when he knows, like you saw in his debut goal with San Lorenzo, he he took off and beat everybody and he had the extra gear to just blow past the defense because he knew he was in. You need that balance. And Schroeder figured that out, I think, much better this year than he did last year. Hopefully that's something Vishalva can learn over the next few months in Mexico and be, you know, ready to kill it with Atlanta United day one. To be to be honest, the time I want him to put the pedal to the metal is when he's off the ball making that kind of counterattack, when he can make that 60-70 yard run and just open the hell up and basically just dare uh wing dare wings to try and keep up with him off the ball. That's I think that'd be my favorite thing to watch is when you can go back and go, now let's slow it down and watch this replay of this man basically turn a 70-yard dash into a runaway, like a Michael Phelps swim meet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we'll get to McCann. Um, yeah, like you McC- said, he's a half season. He's a half season. Uh, Coventry is in a, a weird spot uh, due to their financial situation. They were in... I'm not sure if they actually went into administration or were threatened with it. They recently, I mean, had to move out of the the Ryko Arena where they've they've played for about a decade now and spent a season away from it. Now they have a temporary stay to play there. There's issues in the the Coventry press about is that going to be extended? What's going to happen next? So they have a small squad. Um, and McCann's going to come in and be a very experienced pro who they're going to rely on in the first half of the season because they don't have a lot of you know other players they can play instead. So even though it's a half season, he's going to be very important to Coventry and play a good bit. He sat out his second game. He had a three-game suspension to start the season. He got a straight red card, and I believe it was his second straight red in the last game of the season for Wigan uh, last season. So he had three games to sit. He sat their first league game last Saturday. He sat their league cup game, uh, I believe it was Tuesday, and he has to sit this weekend. But he's eligible to play, I believe, on Tuesday of next week. They, the the EFL League One plays a ton of games. I think he's going to have the opportunity to play about twenty games while he's there. And that's perfect. Um, I'm not asking. <sighs> 
it's one of those things that I don't I'm not asking them to play him 90 minutes every game but just I think because he, he's a veteran to. it's not like well yeah I mean if if it comes down to that it comes down to that um I forget what other club it, it might have it may have been them one of the clubs over there we were I was looking at the preseason roster going do they even have enough players it, them like, and Hull were the two that people were worried the about. Hull cities, I'm thinking of. Thank you. I'm yeah. looking at Hull City in the pre in the summer, going. They're going to par- start pulling people out of the crowd. Like they're going to have to. Well, Coventry wasn't far they're off. Gonna... People were freaking out when the oh. McCann announcement wasn't being made. You know, it had been, it had been in the media, but hadn't been officially announced until I believe August second, and people were freaking out. Like, no, we really have to have a player. Like, we don't have any players, so I think they had. He's in. The... I think they had like Go seventeen ahead. guys on the senior roster. I'm. They might have a couple more now. Uh, they just added Jack McBean from the LA Galaxy on loan, so that's another MLS connection to add to Andy Rose, who was with Seattle Sounders before. Rose scored the winning goal in their League Cup game this week. Oh, look, I see progress already. Uh, but I mean, he, he he's a veteran, and I'm not so much worried about a veteran getting tons of minutes to get experience. I just want him to stay in shape and you know stay comfortable for next year. And if that means playing 90 minutes every game because he has to, I'm I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like throw things over that. I'm okay with that. I can live with it. So you know whatever has to happen happens, and um, you know try not to accumulate too many red cards. And if you do, great. We need more villains. We've been over this. Yeah, hey, more the, villains. The suspensions won't matter over here, so that's fine. Exactly. And I mean, if we've got like an enforcer over here, I mean, cool. That's great. <laughs> everybody, everybody needs everybody needs a uh, everybody needs a, a Zidane Chara in their life. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, I think the Red Bulls need one too after their most recent game. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, yeah. Anyway, West. West <laughs> Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, rest of the play, rest of the guys, um, Burgos, uh, Otu, Tabakas. Burgos, man, I don't. It's it's a bad situation for him in Tampa because they've added you know Joe Cole. They've now added uh, everyone's favorite player from Fort Lauderdale, PC. Um, that, that he's Brazilian. That's that's his name, PC. Uh, <laughs> I, Burgos isn't getting time. I'm just gonna leave it alone. Yeah, just leave it. Just you you wanted to make a Mac Mac joke or something. I know you were gonna go there. It's all good. Oh man, I got I got a lot of directions to go there. But yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it does suck that he's not getting time. I looked at the other day. I was looking at the uh, looking at how things have been going for him, and kind of looked at like, you serious? He's only played that much. He's only done this much. Like what the? Oh well. Gotta look at the roster. Yeah, I mean, it makes Tampa's, a little more sense when you do. Tampa spent some money. They've got a roster. They've got a lot of guys who play. You know, the spots that that Burgos could fit into. I I don't know if I was saying this to you or somebody else uh, before the season started. I I could really wish he had ended up elsewhere because I think he would have got more playing time. I, I wish he'd ended up in Charleston, and he would have played more. But you know, Tampa, it's just not working out for him and. I think he's a player who is of MLS quality. Um, I don't know if he's an MLS starter, but I think he's definitely a player who can be on an MLS squad. And I hate that he hasn't really had the opportunity to, you know, grow this season in Tampa. And he's, he's, I think he's only played eight games. It's a shame. Um, I hope he gets a chance. I hope they, you know, at least give him a shot in training camp next year. If they're not sure about, you know, 
what his season's been like. I hope they give him another look because I feel like he he brings some special qualities that other players just don't have. It's just he hasn't gotten time to show that this year. Yeah, and I hope he makes it too because I've watched him live before and he's really fun to watch. And I think he'd be fun to watch on MLS field. I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that he's a starter, but I think he could definitely be. He's an, he's a depth guy. I would I would have zero qualms, and we'll get into this in a minute. I would have zero qualms with him popping up on a U.S. Open Cup roster. You mm-hmm. know, if you're trying to play into the depth of your roster, I'd be great with that. I would not be the least bit upset with with that in the you know depending on how it goes. But if you told me you know we've brought him in. Um, you know he's going to get time, and he pops up on the he pops up either at the top of the bench or starting in a U.S. Open Cup game. Cool, fine, let's do it. Yeah, he Hold he's a player head. right now who has that level of ability. It's just, you know, have they had a chance to see that yet? You know, the with the Silverbacks last year, what I was most impressed about was he he added elements to his game from his first run with the Silverbacks in 2014. When he came in last year in the second half, he added, you know, a, a much better playmaking ability. He had some great assists, great passes last season. He can still score goals. You know, if he is one of your attacking subs off the bench, I'm cool with that. But he's he's yeah. got to be in a position to be able to show that the rest of the season so he can earn a spot. Yeah, and I'm and you know, I hope it works out. I'm with you. I think it. I, it's a shame it didn't work out down there. But I hope it works out for him in the long run, and we'll see. Um, uh, you never know. And I mean, we'll wrap if, up. If, if somebody gets injured, if if things happen, you know, he might get time in Tampa the rest of the season. They've still got a good number of games, but he That's just true. hasn't had it. He hasn't had the time I think he deserves, and maybe it's just a crowded roster down there. But I hope he gets an opportunity. Uh, yeah, so do I. Um, move on to moving on to Charleston. And a couple of players still down there doing things. So, um, yeah, they what's were your off take last on what's uh, going? They were off. Oh, well. the, there no games last but, week. Uh, the suspense. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, no. You know, you've got O2 who made the game day eighteen for the first time uh, in their last game. So that's a good good step in the right direction for him. Uh, Tambakis is. I think every time I've seen him this year, he's looked better and better. So, you know, feel good about his development. He's not playing every minute for Charleston. They also have another good keeper in, in a Otis and L. Cooper, who can he is a, you know, definitely a, a prospect to look at. But Tambakis is, is showing well so far. Uh, he's definitely going to be in the mix with the MLS roster next year. Again, you know, just looking at his experience, I'm not sure if you want to go into MLS season number one with him as your number one. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, I have nothing against him personally, but yeah. nothing against him personally. But unless unless there's a big jump in what he does, it's 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 risky. I'd rather, yeah, exactly. And I I'd, I'd 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 be hesitant. I'd be risk averse in this case. When I'm starting a an expansion franchise and day one, I could have a calamity goalkeeper. I'd just be risk averse to it. Yeah, and I don't. But if I you don't talk, think he, he necessarily fits, I don't think he fits into that. I wouldn't call him a calamity goalkeeper. It's more of he doesn't have a lot of experience, and I think you're gonna need that 
in year one of an expansion team with, you know, a team starting to come together as a squad, you're not going to have that chemistry early on. And I think leadership will be very important and having a, a veteran goalkeeper with experience will be, you know, I think a priority with the way the squad's coming together. We'll, we'll see how it ends up, but that's, that'd be a, it'd almost be unfair to Tambacus to put him in that role. Yeah. And I'd, and I'd hate to damage, uh, and it's not to say he couldn't do it, but I would hate to put a bullet in that kid's confidence if you put yeah. him in here. And, you know, a couple things go wrong. You're asking a young guy to manage and to manage a back line. And if you've got a guy like McCann back there, maybe another veteran, you know, center back, that'd be great. But I don't want to put a bullet in this kid's confidence, uh, putting him in there first time and maybe something goes wrong and he tries to do too much the next time and just things get weird. If if you told me he's, you know, as he progresses, like, oh, this kid could be goalkeeper of the future with a possible move to Europe, you know, down the road in his, uh, you know, mid-20s, I'd buy it in a heartbeat, and I'd love it, and I would love to see him be that guy down the road. I'm just, I'd be I'd be averse to doing it this year. Yeah, I, I would too, just because it's an expansion year, and it's going to be a, a crazy first season. I, I think having a steady veteran would be your, you know, best case scenario back there. One of the one of the things I gotta keep reminding myself of is next year with United, like we're excited about it, and I think everyone should be. There's gonna be some weird things that happen on the field and possibly off the field. But there are gonna be some weird moments because it's an expansion franchise and weird things happen. You open up a little ball of chaos and you just you're basically rolling twenty sided die in the middle of a roulette board while it's spinning. God only knows what's gonna happen. So, you know, maybe he finds his way there. Um Maybe he finds his way to the bench. Maybe he goes back to USL and spends a whole season as you know a starting goalkeeper and tries to refine himself. I don't really know right now. Um, but there enough weird things are going to happen next year, whether we like it or not, whether they're good or bad. That the possibilities there for him to you know get to get some playing time, but as a starter, not right now unless we see a big jump. But that's where I stand. So, anyway, I'm with you on that. Um, anyway, um, speaking of Atlanta United and next year, um, we had a thing. Uh, one of the groups in Atlanta, Footy Mob, uh, check them out. And uh, yeah, it actually is a hip hop kind of based supporters group. If that's what you're thinking, and if you're not, then you're wrong. Um, they came out with a really cool idea the other day that didn't last, and I'm really sad. Uh, they did it, Atlanta ATO. Uh, UTD in the run DMC style and I had like lined up this weekend to buy a hoodie and you can't anymore and they're done and I'm really sad but it did, it did lead into this whole thing Jason um, and we, we can go back to that that, that hoodie slash t-shirt it was great um, merchandising for Atlanta United everyone keeps asking about kits uh, no matter what answer they get they ask about kits fan gear um, availability uh, Rob posted something today on Dirty South Soccer about the confusion with the two Uniteds um, now that Minnesota's not here, that that was hilarious. <laughs> I I was dying laughing when I saw that the new hat that they that popped up on MLS Shop, and you start scrolling through the images. First image is the Atlanta United logo, Atlanta United text. Second one is the third one is DC United. It's like oh no, and it's oh, one of those no. washed caps that's it's one of those washed caps that's going to end up on the head of somebody from you know Georgia Florida line at some point. That kind of hat, and it's like it's like 
cool. Oh God, that's DC. Why is that there? Um, Man, I see. But now I guess I the feel question terrible is, because I, I kind of actually like that hat. <laughs> I, oh, so do, so do I, I like the hat. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't consider myself a Georgia Florida line uh, fashionista or anything. Neither <laughs> do I. Like I. The hat. And I say that. I say that owning a hat that looks almost just like it from a banjo company. So I got. I have no room to say that in a negative fashion. This is true. Um, I don't mean it in a negative fashion. It's just that kind of hat. Um, but either way, uh, with merchandising in Atlanta United, Jason, what do you think's missing at this point? Like, what's next? I mean, I, I guess the biggest thing that, that I see on on Twitter and on Facebook from different fans is just wanting to buy stuff and there's not enough stuff to buy and there's not stuff in stores that's probably one of the biggest things uh you know it's it's early it's early in the game you know they're they're still working with adidas to put things out i'm sure they're still kind of developing a bit of the the club identity as well uh you know the kit throw the kit to the side that's a whole nother topic but just just yeah. getting gear out there and getting it in places that people can buy easily is a challenge. And I, I think other MLS cities have seen that too. It's just getting over the hurdle of, you know, you go into a Walmart, for example, and you see UGA stuff and you see Brave stuff and you see Falcon stuff and you see a little bit of Hawk stuff and that's it you know when the thrashers were here you might occasionally see a thrashers thing in a you know mass market store atlanta united's got to get past that and get stuff into you know if if not walmart you know those types of stores where your average joe can see a shirt and be like oh that's that's the new soccer team cool i want one one of those shirts or i want that hat i want that hat that looks like the florida georgia line guy would wear in the near video that type of stuff (laughs) You know, but it's just, it's not there yet. So give it some time. Um, one of the things that came up on the ATL soccer chat was pop-up shops. And I think that's something they explored last year during the holidays. I'd be really surprised if they didn't do that again this year. I hope it's not at Mall of Georgia, especially me being in Stockbridge. That is a, a hall. I hope they do some more like kind of in the downtown area. Pont City Market was one that was a, you know, a potential spot. That'd be super cool. Uh, there's some other places downtown that they could do it, uh, places along the Beltline. There's some, some cool things you could do, and I'm sure those things are on the agenda for the club. It's just, you know, people are so excited about this, and it's felt like an eternity since the team was announced in April of 2014, and then last summer got a name and an identity, you know, it's ramping up. I mean, opening days in March of next year. So we're going to start to see more of the stuff. It's just kind of a slow build and a slower build than some of us would like. No, that's fair. And that's how that's, that's about the beginning and end of it for me as well. Um, availability is a big thing right now. Uh, the, the things I have from Atlanta United, I bought the night of the, of the, uh, the logo or the, yeah, the logo reveal last year. And, the giant flag they sent me in the mail the other day for a founders club, which I'm still trying to figure out what to do with that. Thanks again, Atlanta United. I, I'm like looking around my house and I'm like, where do I put a giant flag? Cause I got a shelf full of scarves and soccer balls already. I don't know how much more I can do without getting in trouble, <clears throat> but uh, there, there's gotta be a limit at some point, but 
I, I'm, I agree with you. The kit's a different issue entirely. There's still a lot of hope, I think, that it's going to be out before the holiday season this year. And I cannot imagine that that's not their goal because I know that um, I know that I would greatly enjoy uh, coming to the Christmas tree in the on Christmas morning. And there's an Atlanta United kit that would make me really happy. But your um, wife listens to the podcast, right? Yes, she does. Is is that why you dropped that in there? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Either, she usually just listens to humor me, and I don't know if she listens close enough to hear that. So I'll just ask her off air later. Um, but but that would be great and wow. to to drop it before the holiday season, like you said, pop up shops. Um, even if it's you know downtown Pont City Market, if you get out in the suburbs, um, you know, into Cap County. In Cobb County, um, I don't know how far out you want to go into Cobb, like up to Town Center, if that's somewhere you want to go into uh, that way, um, Perimeter Mall, that sort of thing. But I'll be curious to see what they end up doing, because I think the closer we get, the more material they have, and the pop-up shops become more varied, and there's more potential to just brand the living hell out of the city. So, yeah. Um, okay, there's there's two things on this that, that I want to make sure that I, I can get in there. One's the, the you mentioned no, the flags. The flags, super cool. Um, I've I've been really impressed with that. The Flag Friday thing, I was a little skeptical at first over, you know, how well it would catch on. It's been awesome. People are going nuts over it and you know waiting to see on Fridays where they're going to be and people are trying to collect as many flags as they can and look for the the special prizes. It's very cool, very cool promotion. Kudos on that one. Um, kudos on the the founding member flags. That's very cool. It's it's different, um, very different and very unique. So I think that's being well received. The other side, and you mentioned the the footy mob shirt hoodie uh, thing that was come out that came out. I knew we were coming here. I knew we were coming back here. Yeah, I was excited. Yeah, um, I, I I hate when this stuff happens because you know I'm I'm definitely somebody you know if you know me my just musical perspective. I always like alternative stuff. I always, you know, dig the punk rock stuff. So I get the whole, like, I, I loved what footy mob did with that shirt. It was really cool. They worked with the iron tooth design guys who've done some cool, uh, mock kits for Atlanta United. It was just very cool. And I, I don't know who put the kibosh on it. You know, maybe it was the club. Maybe it was Adidas, there was an Adidas uh, Atlanta United shirt that I saw posted fairly soon before I saw the footy mob one that had a similar look. Um, wasn't exactly the same. Who knows? I mean, you start getting into trademarks. That's a whole nother topic. But we will see this stuff happen where you have the the just, I don't want to say bootleg. That's not the right term. But the unauthorized stuff come out those are going to be the best ones too let's be honest hey man i i would always when i'd go to a concert at lakewood amphitheater i would wait till you know i left lakewood and there'd be the guys selling the t-shirts from the concert in the parking lot for 10 bucks those are the ones i oh, want yeah, as opposed to as opposed to 40 dollars. yeah exactly so you know i like that stuff Absolutely. and i like where you can do some cool things with it and you see that in other mls cities where you're seeing supporters groups or just other groups create team based merchandise that's not official from the team but it still brands the team it still gets the word out there it's still good for the team when those things happen so you know not sure what happened go ahead it it went over a lot better than the barves shirts from last year i mean (laughs) let's be honest 
That one was. Woo. Woo. Yeah. I mean, this, this went over a lot better. And it's yeah. sad that it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know, you know, where the who killed it, but I'd I'd love to see that type of stuff continue to happen, and maybe it's just being a little more careful on not infringing on intellectual properties or whatever. If that's the case, I I don't even know if that was the issue, but I, I want to I don't want to see this be a deterrent to that type of stuff happen because that's that's some cool things that can come out that can help get the word out about the team and help grow the fan base. So I hope it happens. I think I loved the most about it is because that logo is already so clean. And then you put the Atlanta United thing in there. And I was like looking at it, I just kept thinking, this looks really nice. It looks really clean. It's simple. It's effective. It's amazing. And I thought like, where could they do this with local artists? Because every outcast, and I started thinking about outcast first um, because Atlanta and, uh, I started thinking about all the album covers. Like they're way too damn busy on their album covers. Like to really, it would it would take a lot of work to make it to make it work for Atlanta United or something like that. But um, there's plenty of opportunity that I haven't thought of that someone will clearly think of and be like, "Why didn't you think of that? Why didn't anybody think of that?" There will be there will be more of these, and they'll be great, and we'll have more opportunity to look at them and talk about them and mourn them and or celebrate them going forward. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about that side of the Atlanta United fan culture start to grow. That's gonna be that's gonna be really cool. Yeah, um, eventually somebody will make an Atlanta United T-shirt with the two chains on it, and that'll be it. Oh. We can go home. Oh man, everyone or run or there'll be an Atlanta United run the jewels, and we can go home. We'll be done. Um, man, there's a lot of ways we can go here. Anywho, uh-huh. um, uh, on on for merchandising, um. There's discussion this week, Jason. Uh, lower division soccer. Uh, NASL had news at OKC involving my beloved Greek Jesus' team. <laughs> uh, and then I, I love Samaras for life, man. I love that guy. Um, <clears throat> I will never not love Giorgio Samaras. Uh, anyway, in, uh, back on topic. NASL at OKC, issues there. Um, Nashville's interest, Birmingham's interest. Like Lower division soccer had a really busy week, more so than I think... Not not that it doesn't have busy weeks, but it had a busy week on the front page, kind of. Yeah, uh, front page for bad news in in Oklahoma City. The the Rio OKC thing, which felt kind of weird from the start, uh, really took a a bad turn last week. Where you had the coach leave, you had most of the front office leave, you had the local managing partners leave, just a mess. Uh, they actually went out and got a draw with the Cosmos on Sunday, which is kind of crazy with all that turmoil. So who knows? Maybe they, maybe the Rio Vallecano guys righted the ship, but things don't look good for that club moving forward. And that's, that's not a good thing for the NASL. Uh, there's also been, you know, this is coming after issues in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, checks were bouncing. Players weren't getting paid on time. Ah, NASL has San Francisco coming in next year. They really need some, some good news moving forward and, and hopefully they can find it. You know, I honestly, I don't really care how it shakes out because there's just so much drama in the lower divisions. We need strong lower divisions, whoever is running it, whoever, whichever clubs are where we need strong lower divisions because, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not going to 
you know, bang the ProRail gong over here. But the ProRail argument can't even truly happen until the lower divisions are strong enough to support it both ways, to support, you know, producing clubs that could move up and be successful and have a strong enough system to support clubs that move down. And right now it's just not there. I mean, you're seeing it in, you know, two of your 12 teams in NASL. That's, that's not a good look. So things got to get fixed. Uh, We'll see where it goes. Um, The other NASL kind of knock that happened this past week was Nashville Nashville had already announced their USL team coming in, partnering with the NPSL team, Nashville FC, and, and using that name. There was another group who was exploring an NASL team and had been talking to the league for a while. That group has now shifted their focus to MLS and potentially bringing a major league soccer team to Nashville. That would be, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but you never know. We'll see where that goes. But it's a shame for NASL because this was another owner potential ownership group that has now bitten the dust. Yeah, and it's um, and I know people keep bringing up the question. I don't really, I don't want to open up a can of worms because there are people on both sides of the fence who will take up arms for it, and I'm not I'm, looking to I'm, start. I'm a not civil banging war. the pro rail gong. I'm not banging the pro no, rail no, no, gong. I'm, don't do it. No, no, it's not the pro rail gong I'm talking about. It's okay, the fair merger enough. gong. <laughs> no, 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 God, no. Okay, the merger gong is cool. <laughs> the merger gong is cool. Sorry, I was getting really scared. <laughs> no, no, this is not a this is not an ATL soccer con. I'm not trying to start a riot. Um, <laughs> thanks, Sam, for that. Uh, yeah. I almost started yeah. a riot, buddy. Um, but the uh, but but the the merger and the merger or not merger idea, uh, the idea that these lower leagues, whether they merge, whether they don't, like there are people who have very strong opinions either way. And I mean, damn, dude, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Because the NASL has these issues. Uh, the USL's partnered with MLS and the, uh, the NASL and the MLS did not necessarily see eye to eye on things. So where do we do? Well, that changed too, because if you, if you go back and look at NASL when they started, they had a different vision than they do now. And, I wrote a piece on Dirty South this past week, and and Kartik Krishnayer, who was uh, director of communications and PR for the league at the beginning of it in 2011, um, talked about that vision. And it was about, you know, growing lower division soccer and being a viable second division league. And, you know, it's not knowing your place, but it's knowing, you know, kind of where you fit and how you can be successful. And that vision shifted when the cosmos came in and other ownership groups have come in who have taken more of a stance of, well, we could be first division and we can compete with MLS. So things have, have happened to where now you have kind of different groups in NASL that maybe aren't the best fit. So I don't know where it goes. I mean, People telling NASL and USL to merge is is dumb. It's like telling IBM and Apple to merge just because you think it should happen. It doesn't mean it it's going to. These are two separate businesses, and they have different ways of doing things. They want to spend their money however they want to spend their money. I'm not going to tell them what to do. I think that what could happen is if it's not a merger, I think the clubs will kind of self-decide where they want to be. You know, there's... 
NASL teams who might be better suited for the USL model. There's USL teams who might be better suited for the NASL model. I think teams are going to start to move around a little bit. And, and Kartik actually nailed it brilliantly, which I haven't really seen anywhere else, where the lower division soccer is kind of like the, the conference shifts in college football, where the, the teams will make those decisions based on where they feel like they should be, irrespective of the, the league or the conference. They're going to they're gonna find their spot. And, and I hope everyone does. And I hope it, and I don't, like I said, I didn't want to, even when I brought it up in the first place, I don't want to start up the war because people would take up sides on both sides of the war. And I understand they have their loyalties. We've seen it in Atlanta where people got really upset on both sides of the argument with uh, teams that I'm not going to mention in Atlanta, just because I don't want to get it going right now, honestly. Um, But everyone eventually is going to have to find their spot. Uh, the the landscape and this got discussed Wednesday night. The landscape of soccer, I think it was you who said it uh, on the uh, on the Periscope, was the landscape of soccer is going to change drastically going forward in the United States. The way it's changing, the way the sport is changing, the landscape of soccer is changing. The landscape of sport in America, in, in and of itself, is changing. Uh, when you look at you know what the NFL is doing, the the changes they're going to have to make over time. Uh, the way basketball is expanding, the way baseball wants to expand, and the way that you know uh, the, the the new age media is impacting professional sport and amateur sport, the landscape in and of itself is going to be radically different. How does it look? I mean, we may not. We the answer might be there. We just don't see it yet because it, the pieces haven't been laid out properly. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we don't really don't know, know what it's going to look like yet. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, it, it, there, there's a lot of directions it could go, and I don't know. <sighs> anyway, I mean, it's not like we don't have, we have plenty of teams in Georgia. I mean, um, you know, we've got MPSL and PDL squads in Georgia that you can go catch up on. I mean, we've got solid teams here. We've got solid teams all around the country that produce really solid talent. It's not like these squads are just out there, you know, a bunch of, you know, nobodies out there doing nothing. I mean, they're not out there just schlepping. They're out there producing quality talent that moves up in the world, not even just here, but around the world. And they'll always take those opportunities. And to to just dismiss lower level soccer, it, I think it'd be a dis, I think it'd be a disservice to what it can provide for the country and provide for players who want that opportunity. Not everybody's going to get the opportunity, you know, to go play for an academy starting at 12 years old and work their way up into a top flight and sign a homegrown contract. You know, some people, everyone, everyone takes a different road to get there. Yeah. I mean, the lower divisions are necessary. You know, you're seeing it with players who get loaned from MLS down to USL clubs or NASL clubs. Uh, Playing time is critical. You know, you're seeing clubs develop in the lower levels. You're seeing Minnesota United who, you know, nearly went out of business in different incarnations and now has established a club that's coming into MLS. I'm sorry, I think you mean FC Minnesota? Or Minnesota FC. <laughs> They're still Minnesota United for now. We'll see what happens yep. in a little while. Just just, just uh, call yourself loons. I'm totally good with that, honestly. Yeah. I think it'd be awesome. I, in, in all seriousness, I think going by loons would be great. Works for me. I mean, I, I, they can come in as Minnesota United. I don't care. I I think the whole argument about you know them being too many Uniteds is silly, but that's just me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on it. I just, I don't know. Anyway, I mean, but it's it's awesome to see like 
uh, Chattanooga putting together really fun times. Uh, like you said, Nashville's interested in MLS. Uh, St. Louis is now interested in MLS team. Uh, Cincinnati is out there like pulling in more higher attendance than some MLS teams, and that's pretty damn awesome to watch. Like maybe they make that jump in the future. Um, and not everybody needs to come into top flight right away. You know, start lower flight, but clearly the market's there for it. How much can the market bear? Let's find out. I mean, everyone keeps pushing. More people come out to games. Who knows where this whole thing ends up uh, for the United States? And I think that's really exciting. Also Canada, because we've apparently included a couple of Canadian places, too. It's like Major League Baseball. We, we're, 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 we're all inclusive. I mean, Don't leave at least Montreal. Get, hey, at least Montreal get to keep their team this time. Because they didn't bring true. in Jeffrey Loria. Um, man... Oof. Okay, as far as teams that are already existing, and um, you know, like we talked about a lot of awesome teams who are doing some awesome things. Uh, like, like for instance, Chattanooga made like the last two championships uh, for MPSL, I think it is, or yes, uh, PDL. Sorry, MPSL. MPSL. Sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, on the other side of things, there's uh there's your favorite team, Chicago. Oh, and man. I kid you not, like my notes, my notes from Jason today, we were going over this, is four words. It is Chicago is a mess. Not even a period. There's no, there's no punctuation. There's just this one thought hanging out in the ethos, and there's just anger dripping off of the words. Yeah. So go ahead. All right. Let me, let me gather myself for a second on this one. Um, yeah. If, if, if you've seen Chicago lately, and if you saw them in their Open Cup game uh, against New England, uh, a mess is one way to put it. Um, just... I don't get it. Uh, they used to be one of the premier franchises in the league. They have lost that completely now. Uh, you saw a team in the Open Cup, which was the only only thing they have left to play for. Just act like they didn't care. Act like they didn't. There was no intensity. They fell behind. Nothing. I mean, you have David Akam, who's an awesome player. He scored a goal pretty much out of nowhere. They gave up the go-ahead goal right after that. And then just nothing. Now it comes out that there's three groups potentially interested in buying the team. You know, if it's, if it's the ownership, who's just not able or not interested in, in changing things, then that would be best for the, for the market if they can sell it. But something's really wrong there. And I, I don't know if they've quit on the coach. I don't know if he's just not getting, you know, what he's trying to accomplish across to him. It's bad. It just looks really, really bad. They were the worst team in the league last year. They're the worst team in the league this year. That's unacceptable. Uh, yay, Philadelphia 76ers always need company. The only difference in being, there's no process in Chicago. There is no trust the process. It's just kind of like waiting in chum-infested waters. Um, but like you said, like they just looked really bad. Um, and this this all leads into a discussion about the U.S. Open Cup. Because it's settled now about like what we're going to see in the final of the U.S. Open Cup. Um, L.A. losing, resting players. Um, and by the way, that kind of almost sort of worked for a while. Like, they, 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 they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. They almost won resting players. So, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, Dallas prioritizing the tournament, like you said. Um, it's two different priorities. It's just two different approaches, and I don't think either one's really wrong. Um, I, you know, we can we can go on a tirade about Bruce Arena hates the Open Cup. We can do that. Uh, Bruce Arena has one of the deepest rosters in the league, 
and they're in a spot where they're fourth and they don't want to be in that one game knockout in the playoffs. They want to get into second. They came off a crazy Sunday night game uh, against the Red Bulls where Dallas didn't play on the weekend. They're, they were coming off of a CONCACAF game the previous Thursday. So for Dallas, it was easy to play your first choice lineup. For LA, it's a tougher decision. LA is an older team. Dallas is a younger team. It's it's just it's not cut and dried, and not everybody's going to take competitions the same way. The thing that I think people have to accept, and this is actually progress, is that the Open Cup is very similar to the League Cup in England. It's the third, you know, most important trophy. You know, in MLS you have MLS Cup and you have the Supporter Shield. I think the Supporter Shield has possibly overtaken the Open Cup in how important it is. And the Open Cup is growing. It's catching up. You had both semifinals on national TV this time. That's amazing. You're going to have the final on national TV. That's cool. Things are happening. Prize money's better. You have a guaranteed spot in CONCACAF. It's, it's good progress, but it's still the third-tier trophy. And for a club like LA, that's not as important. They want MLS Cup. For a club like Dallas... And especially when you look at Dallas and their history with the Hunt family, the, the tournament is the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. So, of course, they're going to take it more seriously. Dallas is a team that has a ton of ambition. They want to win everything, and they're actually on path to, to win three trophies this year. So, yeah, that's a good point. It's just different approaches, and I don't think, you know, I don't think L.A. is wrong. I don't think Dallas is wrong. I think both of them have their reasons for the approach they took, and... Made for some great drama at the end. Dallas, the cardiac kids of the cup this year. That's that's really cool to see, and it makes it exciting. It gives you those moments to talk about, and makes you know makes for history in this tournament. Uh, let me ask you because I can't, I don't have it in front of me, and maybe you know off the top of your head. If you don't, I won't condemn you to it. Has uh, anyone ever pulled off? Uh, has ever has anyone ever pulled off all three? Like I can't. Hmm. And I'm I'm probably going to be yelled at on Twitter for not knowing this. I I know teams have pulled off two. I know there's been teams that have won uh, MLS Cup and Open Cup or Supporter Shield and Open Cup or, or Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. I know those things have happened. I'm not sure if there's been a trouble. I want to say there has, but I can't think of who did it. Uh, looking on uh, MLSsoccer.com, it does not look like uh, yeah Dallas could be the first team to pull it off. Okay, uh, just so that's awesome though. Like a lot of the thing with the U.S. Open Cup is you can look at it however you want, whether they care or don't. Uh, whether people you know people have very strong opinions on it about yes or no how important it is. Your opinion, while important, here's the thing: until the teams decide that it's very important, prestige wise, money wise, whatever. And you get people filling up the seats, the status quo is going to be the status quo. Now, if Dallas rolls out, let's say Dallas goes into the playoffs this year and doesn't have you know a breakdown, and then they also win the U.S. Open Cup and win the Supporters Shield. If Dallas pulls off a treble, I hope they spike the damn football on everybody's face about it. Yep, maybe that you know maybe that kind of fires people up about it. But I would love to see a higher attendance. Um, there's a Twitter account called Empty Seats Galore, which is basically holding an open, re- which has basically become a squatter at Turner Field. Um, yeah, 
just chronicling the fact that people don't go to games. And every time they post something at these, uh, at the U S open cup games, that's a, it sucks. I mean, people have lives, uh, people value things differently. I totally understand, but you know, when people don't go to the games and when, you know, coaches, like you said, uh, like you said, Bruce out there in LA, when they just don't take it seriously, then the stat, it's hard for the status quo to change in that instance. And I would like it to. I'd like the tournament to be important. I hope Atlanta takes it seriously. I think it'd be awesome if Atlanta pulls a Seattle, uh, you know, and pops into the league uh, and, you know, whisks the trophy away and brings it to Atlanta and gets excited about it. That'd be awesome. To take a trophy in your first year, that'd be amazing. Um, and that's what the Open Cup provides for you. I mean, that's the thing is yeah, the absolutely. Open Cup is the, the fastest way to CONCACAF Champions League. It's, you know, about five, six games for MLS teams to win a trophy. It's a big deal. And it's something Atlanta United could have success in straight away. It's, you know, I, I look at the the empty seats galore type of thing and, you know, ripping, ripping the, the tournament or ripping the teams. I think there's three elements to it. I mean, we've talked about the Open Cup and the prestige. It's growing. It's better than it has been. It's still not, you know, a huge deal yet. Uh, I think it will continue to grow. Two, I think midweek games are still, you know, more of a challenge than weekend games for MLS clubs to draw. And some clubs have an even bigger challenge with that than others. Just depends on their location. And three, I think there's also, you know, issues for, well, let me say four actually, because one is on the clubs. The clubs have to promote these games better. I think, you know, you saw Orlando this past year, decide not to provide a live stream of their game where they lost to Fort Lauderdale. So karma kind of got them there, I guess. Hey, that's another thing I loved about it is NASL teams uh, coming in and wrecking shop on people in these, uh, against these MLS teams. That's a lot of fun to watch when it happens. Like you got these NAS, you know, who are, you know, quote unquote viewed as inferior, even though in a lot of cases they're not uh, when, when you put them head to head in these sort of games, when you put them in a one-off, yes. But yeah, that's what I mean. Because sport is sport. Weird things happen. Chaos rules. Yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, the other thing come, comes back to it too is that the the fans have to take it seriously. I mean, that, that's that's on that's on everybody because uh, I think it was Matt Doyle on one of the SiriusXMFC shows talk about how you know when they post and they they've done a, a much better job this year of covering the Open Cup than they have in the past and. Their open cup articles and media doesn't get as much attention from the fans. It doesn't, you know, get as many hits. And, you know, it's it comes down to that being important. The ratings for the the game the New England Chicago game weren't that great. It was also, you know, two teams that don't draw a lot. And we've talked about the if Seattle was a smoldering crater, I don't know what Chicago is. I'm I'm gonna let you call that one. But I wouldn't want to watch that game unless I was crazy like myself. I mean, if if you're not, you know, either a hardcore fan or one of the ten Chicago fans who hasn't, you know, broken their television sets yet this year, it's just, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a great compelling matchup, but also people didn't tune in because it was a big deal. So it, it goes both ways, you know. People have to take it seriously on all accounts for it to grow, and that's from. U.S. soccer to the club level, to the league level, to the fan level. Uh, by the way, the closest anyone, from what I can tell, the closest anyone has come to doing this was 2002. The uh, L.A. won the MLS Cup. They won the Supporter Shield, and they lost the final of the U.S. Open Cup uh, 1-0. 
Oof. So, like, heartbreakingly close. Um, Seattle in 2014 won the Open Cup, won the Supporters' Shield, and lost in the West Championship to LA on away goals. So, okay. um, yeah. So, I mean, there people have gotten close. Maybe it happens. Maybe it does. Maybe if Dallas does it, maybe that invigorates everything. That'd be awesome. Um, I'll come up with another term for Chicago later because, man, Chicago's like Chicago's like Chernobyl right now. Is what it is. It's bad. yeah. It's like you don't, you don't want to be there. No, Thank God for and, the Cubs, man. <laughs> it's the only thing bringing joy to the city of Chicago at this point. Jason Hayward's like one of the worst everyday hitters in baseball. Thank God for the Cubs. Man, you um, had to get a crack at Hayward, didn't you? I love Hayward. I do, but man, there's just nothing, nothing like it hasn't gone the way we all thought it would. I was there for that first home run. It has not gone the way we thought it would. Um, nah. But I, uh, but anyway, um, we'll kind of move on then from there to our MLS preview. Uh, Seattle plays Real Salt Lake. And Jason, I don't know if you've ever seen, there was a movie back in the day called Evolution. Uh, it's David Duchovny. Orlando Jones was in it. Um, it was the it, Ethan Suppley was in it. Who was in my name is Earl. Um, Oh wow. Okay. And the whole, the whole premise was this meteor crash. This, uh, this meteor crashes on earth. It releases this alien DNA. The mayor of the town where it lands, by the way, played by Dan Aykroyd, which was great. Um, nice. it, it, it starts evolving very, very quickly into like a world takeover type of organism. That's going to destroy all human life. Basically a smoldering crater grew to destroy the world almost. And Seattle is like trying that. That's where I'm going with this. I went a long way to get here, but Seattle's kind of sort of went from that smoldering crater. Something crawled out of that crater, and um, Seattle can wreck some shop, man. It's totally possible. They're like as of right now, Seattle's sitting ninth, but Portland, Vancouver, and San Jose are in front of them. Seattle's eight points out of uh, a playoff spot, and they have one game against. Uh, San Jose left and two games against Portland and two games against Vancouver. They could crawl out of there and crawl their zombie ass into the sixth seed, or they could just wreck shop for the rest of the Cascadian region. You just compared the Seattle Sounders to a Dan Aykroyd and David Duchovny movie. I'm impressed. I am incredibly impressed. So if that's the case, and since I haven't seen this movie, I don't, I don't even know where to go with these comparisons, but where does Nicholas Lodero fit into this? Because he is what has changed this team. Uh, he is the combination of oxygen on a certain molecule that sets off evolution at an accelerated rate because he has accelerated Seattle's potency on the, uh, basically as a team in general, because, and I get where you're going with this. Like he has been the, uh, the defibrillator to this team. He's got them off the table. Yeah. They're up and running and it's awesome. Like Absolutely. I, I, the world for me is a better place when Seattle's fun to watch. Like, for better or worse, whether people like them or hate them, the world's a better place when Seattle's fun to watch. There are some teams in, in leagues where you want them to be good. You, you may not want them to win championships. You may have a bone to pick with them. But, like, unless you just have a shot in Freud with kicking them while they're down, it's more fun when Seattle's, you know, good and wrecking shop or you know, messing with people's lives. Like when they drew LA, by the way, LA slipped from second to fourth now because of that. So I, I enjoy it when Seattle is good because weird things happen and that atmosphere gets fun and they start messing with the West, even if they can't win it. Are the Seattle Sounders, the Dallas Cowboys of MLS? No, cause they've won something in the last 10 years. 
Oh, um, man. poor Tony Romo. It's, um, it, it's kind uh, of that element, he, though. Like you mentioned about, you know, when it, when Seattle, which you know, Seattle is one of the high-profile teams in the league. They absolutely are. Yeah. They they draw huge crowds. They're they're a big deal. They drive a lot of things forward for this league. When they're good, things are going good in the league. Um, you know, Dallas is kind of like that. When when Dallas is interesting, let's not even say good. When they're interesting, you know, people talk about it, and it's a big deal because they have a huge fan fair, base. To be fair, Dallas makes eight and eight really interesting to watch in a in not always a good way. Um, but. I, you know, maybe maybe that is a great maybe that is a really good, solid to great comparison. That you know, like you said, and I think you made a great point. They drive this league in a way, and they're not the only team. I'm not saying other teams can't drive the league, but they're identifiable. You know, people recognize them. They recognize the kit. They recognize the stadium, mainly because one end of it looks like a damn ship. Uh, they recognize the crowds. It's 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 a thing. And I think it's important, but anyway, they've got work to do. Um, Ladero was, you know, great signing. Uh, he's becoming the master of the hockey assist. Uh, I don't know if he actually got any credit for any assists on Sunday in Orlando, but he set up Jordan Morris on Morris's two assists. So Ladero is just driving everything as as he gets even more comfortable. I think they're only going to get better. I don't know if they can climb out of the hole they're in this year. We'll have to see. They got a tough matchup this week. Salt Lake has surprised me. Salt Lake has been a team that, you know, I was, I I haven't been impressed with them since Jason Christ left. I was starting to wonder if Jeff Kassar was in over his head. They've made some, some good moves and then they have some players who just, I don't know. They they don't get old. I mean, Nick Raimondo is still one of the best goalkeepers in this league. He just became the all-time leader in, in wins as a goalkeeper. Javier Morales, I feel like he's been in the league forever, and he keeps being clutch. Uh, Joao Plata is one of my favorite players in the league. You know, he's 5'3", but he's turned into a great player in this league. And then they brought in uh, Burrito Martinez, who is a, another fun player to watch. And if you haven't seen him, I mean, Salt Lake's not one of the biggest markets in the league, and they don't get as many national games. If you haven't seen Burrito Martinez yet, watch this game, because the matchup of Ladero against Martinez will be fun. There'll they'll be a lots of big highlights, lots of, of flashy moves. It's going to be a fun game to watch, and... I think Salt Lake can can give them everything they want and could even get a result in Seattle this weekend. It's I'm kind of going in the same direction I went with LA a couple weeks ago in that I think Seattle can, you know, get in there and try and wreck shop and play the spoiler role and it's to the point now they're not just playing spoiler, they're close enough like right on the edge where they can still ruin where they can still kind of jump up and sneak into the 6th seed. Uh by the way, if they did that um at this point, Real is in the third seed. Salt Lake is in the third seed. So, surprise, that's who you'd play. Um, but Salt, I'm kind of going in the LA direction where Salt Lake's going to want the points more than Seattle's going to want the pride. And um, so, I would, in this instance, I think I'd take Salt Lake in a very fun game because Bo, Bo, <laughs> Salt Lake's got a one goal differential this year. 
they score goals. They also give them up at a pretty fun clip. Like this could be a lot of this could be a lot of fun to watch, especially the way Seattle has come in playing. I still think at this point I'd take Salt Lake in a three to two match, like really fun match. Um, if Dempsey scores another hat trick, though, I'm done. Like I'll just walk away. <laughs> Uh, wow. Yeah. I don't know if, if these can keep that up. I'm, I'm probably going towards, uh, uh, a two, two. I think it's going to be a draw. I think totally. Fair. Y- I think you, you were right in that, that salt Lake needs points out of this. So they will, they'll take a draw. They're four points out of second place. You know, they can still get into that. And as we've talked about with a lot of these games, you want to be in the second spot, not the third because of, of what it means in the playoff format. You don't want to be you don't want your season to come down to a one game knockout. You want that two game series at least. So you want to be in the second spot. You don't want to be third. They're gonna they're gonna push for that. They're on the road. They'll you know, Kassar has shown that he will, you know, be a little more cautious on the road when he needs to be. I it wouldn't surprise me if they come out a little more defensively. Uh I think Seattle's gonna open them up just because of you know, everything Seattle has going at the moment. But I think it, I'm kind of leaning towards 2-2. I think, you know, once once Salt Lake gets to, once they can get that point, they'll be pretty secure in that and they're not going to risk it. So I, I'm feeling like 2-2. No, that's fair. Um, I think that's perfectly acceptable. Um, I just can't get the image out of my head of Seattle scoring goals like something out of FIFA on easy mode where it's one, where it's two versus the keeper and you just basically pass it to somebody to literally walk it into the goal. And I don't know if they'll do that this week because this isn't Orlando's defense. <laughs> no, uh, no. And, and, and Nick Ramondo's back there and Ramondo is the, the master of breaking hearts when it comes to the stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude makes saves Ram- that you just I hope, don't expect. I hope we're in a world now where it's Ramondo and Tim Howard going toe-to-toe to see which one lasts longer because I think they're both 38. I think Ramondo's 37 yeah. or 38. Spoiler alert, it would be Ramondo. Oh, yeah. Ramondo's uh, that, I mean, so underrated. And I, I almost got into arguments with people in, in 2014 going into that with that roster. Uh, I would have been fine with any of the three goalkeepers playing. And people don't rate Nick Ramondo on that level. <clears> I think it's unfair. If he was you know, three inches taller, people would see him differently. He's an incredible goalkeeper and he's the thing he he does that doesn't get enough credit is he makes the the backbreaking save. He makes that save that kills the other team's momentum because it's so unexpected and it's so spectacular. He does that with ease and he's still doing it. He is and and that's the thing in this game, you know, this is a prime example of what Nick Romano can do to a team. In Seattle, in front of a huge crowd, national television, he stonewalls Jordan Morris or Clint Dempsey or Ladero a couple times in the first half, midway through. It deflates the crowd to a degree. It deflates the the Sounders to a degree. If he can pull those things off, and that's what keeps Salt Lake in games. He makes it's not even just being a great goalkeeper, it's he makes that save that just crushes you. That's what he's good at. Yeah, and I could see that happening. Like, Real scores. Like, Salt Lake scores. Seattle comes on the counter right away, trying to answer quickly to keep the crowd in the game. And surprise, Romano just ruins everything. 
Yeah, breakaway definitely. counter. Ramondo makes a crazy save. Everybody's and the crowd like, just kind of and then and then Rhea, Salt Lake goes down and scores. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, instead of a one-one game, you're looking at two-nil, and uh, Ramondo's just standing there smiling at you. That's what he does. But uh, so we're looking at a three-two and a two-two. All right. Well, we'll keep track of it. And uh, Jason, that about wraps it up tonight. Um, if you would like to have further discussions about. U.S. goalkeeper controversies. Feel free to watch tomorrow night or tonight, I guess, because it's Friday. Uh, the, the U.S. is playing, and Hope Solo is playing, and people had opinions. Man, people had opinions. She had um, one bad game. It's going to be okay. Um, they're going to beat Sweden. I, they'll be all right. No, yeah, I think they'll be fine. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with her. I also don't think there's anything wrong with after the Olympics uh, having an open mind going forward because she is 35. And uh, I never thought I'd get to the point in life where I saw her in the same situation that uh, Scurry was in. Not saying that, you know, she's fallen off a ledge by any means, but to the point where you have these young goalkeepers who are really solid, who could start to nip at her heels. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, and you got to look at the cycles with the the women's national team. You have, uh, you had the World Cup last year, you have the Olympics this year, so you won't have the Women's World Cup come around until 2019. So you have three years. Um, is Solo going to be your goalkeeper in three years? There's a good chance no. So you'll have the the series of friendlies after the Olympics. Um, That could be kind of a farewell for for Solo and maybe a few other players too as they start to bring in the young talent for the cycle that will start in the 2019 World Cup. Yeah, yeah, about that time, we're going to be looking at the end of uh, solo, which will go down, I think, is one of the. I mean, Solo's career is going to be really fun to look back on because, I mean, was it two hundred caps, a hundred shutouts? Yeah. Um, that's that's absurd. And uh, I mean, you're looking at you know a total changeover, which you started to see in this Olympics. I know we're kind of getting adding another topic real quick, but you're kind of seeing it with uh with people like Mallory Pugh and um a lot of the younger players, but you've got people who, you know, Carly Lloyd's going to be in her mid thirties. Uh, Megan Rapinoe is going to be in her mid thirties coming off an ACL tear. Um, you know, you've got, uh, Alex Morgan getting older, Sydney LaRue getting into her, you know, mid late twenties. So I don't know what 2019 looks like, but we'll find out between them because of the way, like you said, the way the cycle works, we'll get enough friendlies that the puzzle will kind of get, put together as we go so let me let me try to end this i guess with a moment of zen um please you look at we've talked about development kind of all the way through tonight we talked about atlanta united's academy we talked about the lower divisions um we've talked about how you know atlanta united will grow as a club the u.s women's national team is kind of in that situation you're going to have a generation and you even saw some of it after the world cup last year where players you know, are, are now gone from the national team program and you're going to have even more after the Olympics, but you also, because of NWSL, you have players like Crystal Dunn now who, she didn't make the world cup squad last year. She went and killed it on the professional level. And now she's a key player for the team in the next year's Olympics. These, the professional leagues and, and developing players for the long haul is vital to American soccer. And this is men, women, this is all of it. So you have to have, you have to have a strong game at all levels for, for this to happen. So the women need NWSL 
players like Crystal Dunn need that opportunity. Um, it's going to be the same for Atlanta United players who come out of the academy and maybe aren't quite ready for MLS and need somewhere to go to play. We need at all levels the game to thrive, and hopefully we're starting to see it. It's still, you know, it's easy to get frustrated with it, but we're seeing substantial growth in the last 10 years. I think in the next 10 years, it's this is going to look like nothing. So it, it's all going to be okay, but we need to keep on the road we're, we're on right now. That's the best way I could think of to end it. So we're going to end it. Jason, thanks again um, for the marathon this week. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Longshoe. That's where you can find Jason Longshore at Jarrett Smith at Jarrett underscore Smith. I don't even know my own Twitter handle. Wow. You can find me on Twitter as <laughs> if well. You're still, if you're still listening, I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, I hope you listened to the end just to hear that because that was very important. Um, always <laughs> check out Dirty South Soccer. Listen to Miles of the South. You can find us on Dirty South Soccer on SB Nation Soccer. We'll see you next week. Thank you again, everyone. Jason, thanks for everything. Have a good night.